Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. We're thinking a little bit this morning about the messy calling of our lives and what that means and what that looks like. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. That is a mouthful, isn't it? You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. In 1976, uh, in June of 1976, I turned 16 years old. And for whatever reason, my thought process at the time was that I was getting old. (laughs) It's my thought process at the time. And I really needed to know what I was going to do with my life. And I remember that, you know, around my 16th birthday thinking, come on, God, I'm 16. I'm going to need to know the master plan here. I'm going to need to know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And, and so, you know, I was really that summer praying about that, thinking about that. And the advice I was getting as I talked to people about it is this. Well, you need to get in touch with your call. What is your call? And that was the language that I was steeped in. What is your call? What, what is God calling you to do? And it wasn't you know, just about a specific individual. It was about all, all kids, all of our, our youth pastors, the pastor, our parents, talk to us about our calling. What is your call? What, what is God asking you to do with your life? And I'd kind of always felt like I was called into full-time ministry. I don't know why. But I was really at the crisis point at that summer. And I was just saying, I got to know. So I went to my pastor and I said, hey, I'm going to be a junior in high school next year. I, I can't be wasting much more time. <laughs> I'm going to need to get on the path here pretty quick because it's going by. And he said, uh, well, I'll tell you what. You should just... Think about what you believe God's calling you to do. Well, I, I think God's calling me to full-time ministry. He said, oh. Well, I'll tell you what. You pray about that. And if you can do anything else with your life and be happy, do it. <laughs> Turned out it was pretty good advice. I waited another year. And I remember on a Sunday evening service just feeling overwhelmed and having to say publicly for the first time, I think I'm called to full-time ministry. What is your call? We are all called. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that God prepared in advance for us to do. What is your calling? I mean, I I understand that we all have the vocation of perpetuating our lives and our existence and doing things with our lives. But within the context of that is our true calling. Because you can do anything with your life 
and answer your call. You don't have to go to full-time ministry. You, you can do it as a school teacher. You can do it as a plumber. You can do it uh, in almost every aspect of life. But we have to keep in mind that in the midst of what's happening here, I'm called. There's a calling on my life. There's something important that I have been invited to do. I am participating in something that is bigger than my story. It's bigger than myself. What is the calling? And it's a messy calling. As Paul writes to the church at Rome, he's, he's saying to them, listen, I know that you are, you are tempted to argue and to divide. And you're, you're tempted to, to split over doctrinal issues. You're You're tempted to split over cultural issues. You're tempted to split over your affinity choices. But don't do that. Because even though you're a mess, you're one mess. You're one big mess under the unity of the power of God. You you have something in common. You share your lostness in common, but you share your foundness in common. And now as he comes here into what is probably the climactic chapter of his writing, where Paul has created all the theological construct. Here's who God is, here's who we are, here's how it all fits together. He opens chapter 12, therefore, which almost always signals that he's transitioning from the theological side to the practical side, to the ethical side, to how it works in real life. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to Him, which is your reasonable act of spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what His will is, His good and perfect and pleasing Will, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourselves with sober judgment. He's pleading with them. In view of all of these things, I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember how you're made. I want you to remember what you're about. I, I want you to remember what matters most. I don't want you to go with the flow. I want you to live in a countercultural way, not because you're contrary. Amen? Because sometimes church people are contrary. Oh, yeah, you're going to. I mean, you could at least say amen about other people you know at church that are contrary. You're not going to own the whole thing. We're not contrary to be contrary. We're not countercultural to be countercultural. Amen? We're countercultural because we believe some stuff. We're committed to some stuff. Somebody once said that the definition of insanity is doing the same things and expecting different results. I I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that's the actual definition. It is the definition of insanity in which most of us participate. Like philosophically, I want to eat better and exercise. Amen? But practically speaking, I don't change my behaviors very much. But I keep hoping, you know. I mean, I keep hoping. I keep thinking science one day is going to make that pill that I can take. I can eat anything I want and be healthy. So far, it's not working that well. But we do it, don't we? I want some things to be different, but I keep doing the same things I've always done. What I usually do is ask God to change things. 
because I'm not going to do anything. But wouldn't it be good if he answered my prayers? (laughs) I'm sorry about that. (laughs) We live in a culture that keeps doing the same things and expecting different results. And we got to be honest about that. I was in a conversation uh, last week and somebody was saying, how can we fix what's broken in the world? And we were talking specifically about the Middle East and the things that are happening. And, and this thought struck me. We ought to tell the truth. That's what we ought to do. We ought to quit telling lies about things because we can never solve problems if we don't tell the truth about them. And we live in a culture that doubles down on lies every single day. And then expects different results. Expect somehow we're all going to get along. Now, we don't all agree on what the lies are. Amen? That's how deeply divided we are in our culture. It's like, somebody's lying here. I'm pretty sure it's them. It's not us. Our people are okay. It's those other people telling half-truths and stuff. At the beginning of the 20th century, we decided that human beings contained everything on board to create a better world. We call it humanism. We no longer, it was a concerted statement that said the problem we're having in the world is the God problem. As long as this divine overlord is dictating to us what's right and wrong and good and bad and evil, which has been used historically to exploit people, amen. I don't know if you know this, but religions are run by human beings. So here's a solution. Let's get rid of God and put those human beings in charge. That's what happened. And so we're, we're now a hundred years, roughly, into this experiment of no longer needing the overlord, no longer needing the higher power, but human beings are going to bubble to the surface and create a utopian society. And it's interesting to me when you, when you think about the creative minds out there, how they portray the future to us, and it's been happening really for, for a long time. So when you look at science fiction and you, you, know, you, you project what's going to happen into the future with this you know, human-led process that we are in, Two big things develop. The first one is a dystopian society in which we finally have destroyed the earth, and then there are mutants among us who walk around preying on the normal among us. You've seen the shows, right? The Walking Dead, you know, all, all that stuff. Dystopian society where we just sort of subsist. And then the other version of that is we become this highly enlightened culture. We all wear jumpsuits. We all eat the same things. We all talk. We only talk in very wise, deep ways. We're, we're gentle and loving and wise and not very fun, but, you know, we've evolved. And you think about the process of the world we've been in in these last hundred years. It's advanced in some ways. Technology has done a phenomenal kind of leap forward. Amen? Amen. Who imagined Remember, it wasn't that long ago we were watching Star Trek and they were scanning people's bodies to tell them what's wrong with them. And now you can go get your body scanned if you can get through the insurance. You can get your body scanned. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) They don't even have to cut you open to look inside you anymore. We've come so far in such a short amount of time in this technology side of the world. But 
in the relational side of the world, there's an epidemic of depression and anxiety and broken relationships and broken homes and broken people and broken families. And what do we hear from the culture? Well, the problem is we need more of that. We need more freedom. We need less of this higher power, less of any idea of morality whatsoever. We need, if we destroyed that, then everybody could finally be happy. And you and I are called to something. We're called to be different in this world, not for the sake of being different, but for the truth of being different. We are predisposed as human beings to follow the crowd. Did you know that? How many of you knew that we are predisposed as human beings to follow the crowd? Wow, that is all? All right, well, let me read it for you. In an article entitled The Bandwagon Effect, Why People Tend to Follow the Crowd, Dr. Itamar Schatz writes these words. The bandwagon effect is a cognitive bias that causes people to think or act in a certain way if they believe that others are doing the same. For example, the bandwagon effect can cause someone to adopt a certain political ideology because they see other people in their social circle have adopted the same ideology, can have a powerful influence on people in many areas of life, so it's pretty important that we understand it. The bandwagon effect, together with the behaviors that are associated with it, such as following the crowd and following popular trends, can be attributed to several psychological causes. Number one, normative social influence. That represents the tendency to conform with others out of a desire to fit in with the crowd and gain approval of others. And we all have it. Amen? Amen. Another cause is the informational social influence, which represents the tendency to conform with others out of a desire to be right, under the assumption that the people around us know something that we don't know or may understand the situation better than we do. Furthermore, relying on the opinion and actions of others can often serve as a useful mental shortcut that helps people form judgments and make decisions, especially in certain situations, such as when people need to choose quickly or are under uncertainty. That is a lot. Did you get it? Here's the deal. We like to fit in. It makes us feel better. And then sometimes we think that people around us are, some, are smarter because we hear smart people talking. And sometimes those people are on television. And we, we hear what they have to say and we think they, they must know something that I don't know. So I'm going to go that direction because it seems like, you understand what we're saying? This is a cognitive bias. It doesn't mean we're rationally sitting and going, you know, I think I'll follow it means we are prone to this, especially when we have so many choices and decisions to make, we start to allow cognitive bias, the cognitive bias, the bandwagon effect, to help us make our decisions because we can't make all those decisions. We can't be experts on everything. Amen? Any of you ever found yourself in the middle of an argument with somebody and realize you don't know what you're talking about? Happens all the time. Why? Because our cognitive bias, this bandwagon, it can only take us so far. Well, why do you think that? Well, uh, you know, because I, and uh, let me tell you, I hear you know, but do you know what you're talking about? No. No, I actually didn't do any research. I didn't. Did you read the article you're citing? No, I just read another article that cited the article, and now I'm 
I'm actually five declensions away from what was actually said or done, but I'm taking it as the absolute truth, and I will fight you on it. And why don't we get along in our culture? Because we're not telling the truth. We're telling some truth, maybe our truth, but not necessarily the truth. And it happens every day. And it happens all the time. Into that divisive context, Paul comes and says, I want you to understand that you not only have a shared struggle and a shared hope and a shared belief, you have a shared call. And it's a messy call. It's not neat. It's not clean. There's a lot of things about it you should know. Listen to the whole passage from Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So Paul makes it clear that we're not to conform to the pattern of this world. We're not on a bandwagon. And so I have five contrasts here that I want you to think about. And uh, I think it's kind of like a test. You know, you can just kind of go, well, where's my perspective? Do I think more about this or do I think more about that? So here they are. By the way, while you're all sitting here, you may have noticed there are changes happening around us. So you saw a lot of fencing down this week. There's a lot of stuff going on. Patios have all been poured. I need to make you aware of a couple of things that I just remembered in the middle of the sermon. So... think there's a syndrome that goes with this but anyway next week when you come you that whole entrance that has been our primary entrance here for the past few months is going to no longer be available to us it's going to be made legal so you'll no longer be allowed to enter the building illegally you'll be able to do it legally so that's getting all ripped out this week which means next week you'll be entering on the new side so be donuts over here but you'll have to walk around the front of the building and end And the second thing is, the walkthrough is not happening next week, but the week after that, the 11th. And what will happen is at the end of this service, we'll invite you for a walkthrough. You will not be allowed to wander the property because it's not all finished. But we will have groups out. You will go out that door. You'll be able to make your way through the buildings and out this side and back to the parking lot. And so we want you to be able to see what's happening and have a firsthand experience, but just know that's happening. Next week, don't be confused. That's going to be all torn out. That'll be blocked. You'll have to come around and enter the others. We good? Yeah. <sighs> a good compare and contrast. 
Paul says, here's some things that mark the difference. Is it a me-first mentality or a kingdom-first mentality? In my daily life, in my daily walk, the messiness of the call is that I have to live and I have to eat and I have to pay the bills and I have to do all the stuff that I have to do. I have to go to school, I have to do my homework, I have to do all of that stuff. And that means that I spend a great deal of time managing me. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the older you get, the more self-management it takes. Like, remember when you popped out of bed in the morning and you were ready to go? Like, you didn't need an entrance ramp into the day. You just jumped out of bed and you were there. And now, the older you get, the longer entrance ramp you need. It takes a while to get up to speed. Amen? And we form very strong routines around this reality. Like, okay, I'm going to need to sit here and have my coffee. I don't even want to interact with human beings until the substance in this cup has been consumed and the drug has had the ability to take its effect. Amen? Yeah. And, and, the older, and then many of us have entered into the supplement phase of our life. Amen? I'm going to need to drink this coffee or this protein drink, and then there are 62 supplements that are... Each of them are miracle workers in their own right. This is for my brain, this is for my joints, you know, I won't do all 62, but. And it is easy over time to become preoccupied with me and to spend most of my energy and thought process about managing me. And when I do this, I also begin to look at other people and ask, why are you treating me this way? And Paul says, listen, in view of God's mercy, Because God regarded you, you, that he sacrificed himself for you, you, your need, your heart, your mind, your spirit, your brokenness, your failure, your weakness, you, in view of God's mercy, I I want you to to think about the kingdom of God. I want you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. I know you have to take care of yourself, but but that's, that's just part of the process of helping you be ready to serve the kingdom of God. And, and you're going to go somewhere and do work, but as you do your work, do it in a way that is pleasing to God. Be the kingdom person in all of the places you go. There aren't necessarily better places or more holy places or less holy places. There's different places, but all of us can serve with a kingdom first mentality. Amen? Amen. And the question is, are we? There's still a call on our lives. It's a calling It's a God-ordained, I've got good works for you to do that I prepared in advance for you, and if they don't get done, no one else can do what you can do. No one else can pick up the slack. Nobody. That's how the kingdom works. It's a covenant relationship with God. He does His part, and we do our part. And when we don't do our part, the kingdom suffers. How does it suffer? I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes it shows up immediately. You know, if Buddy's gone for a couple of weeks, we, we notice. <laughs> Others of us, it's real subtle. But I promise you this, there's a loss. There's a loss. There's a loss inside of our homes. There's a loss inside of our families. There's a loss inside of our friendships. There's a loss inside of the church when we do not live in this kingdom first mentality. Number two, he mentions, not only is it a kingdom first, but it's the needs of others 
instead of my own needs. I don't know if you buy this, but I think it's true. Mostly, the quality of my life is dictated by how many of my needs are getting met. Oh, yeah, just me. There you go. Yeah. You're all like, hmm. Wow, that's interesting. That Pastor Dave's a real mess. We even do this in the kingdom of God. God loves us more when we're getting what we want and we feel. We feel God loves us more when we're getting what we want. And we feel God loves us less when we're not getting what we want. Because what is the measure of all things? My needs. My needs. What I want, what I need, what I desire. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but instead think of yourself with sober judgment and care about others. Others, 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 others. That's a huge challenge, isn't it? And it's messy. This, this is a messy calling because I got to do me, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as I got to do me. If I don't do me, I won't have any love to give. And that's true. Amen? Amen. But most of us, because this is the immediate thing, this is where we stop. We do this, and we might care about the needs of select others, a few. But the needs of everyone, all the time, it's our calling. It's our calling. It's that need to sit in a sensitive space. To have eyes that see the need around us, that see people hurting or feeling awkward or, 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 or lonely or, or disenfranchised. And, and how do we make a difference in the world? Because we are to be the kingdom of God alive on earth. It's not, it's not just about me. It's about building the kingdom. And it's not just about my needs. It's about the needs of others. And what percentage of energy in your journey and in your life is, is being given towards the needs of others? Because it matters. You can't truly feel peace and fulfillment if it's all about me. Because when my story reduces itself to me, then my world is too small to feel joy. You, you know what happens when you get all down here into me? What happens is, if I'm having a good day, then things are okay. But if I'm having a bad day, then things are not okay. And you know how vulnerable that is? Do you? If I don't eat right, I have a bad day. If my team loses, I'm having a bad day. If my hair doesn't come out right, save your comments. You understand how vulnerable it is? You put on your clothes and go, I'm having a bad day today. We are so vulnerable. Sometimes we're having a bad day and we think, I don't know why I feel so bad. We're so vulnerable that we don't even have to know what's causing us to feel bad. And when our life is reduced down to this me feeling and who I am, I'm so vulnerable to being sad all the time. And depressed all the time. I got to get my eyes up. I got to take care of this. But I don't stop there. It's not a me first. It's the needs of others first. Number three. Everybody doing okay? All right. 
instant gratification versus eternal values. We live in a culture that says, I want to be happy right now, right this minute, and the next minute, and the next minute, and the next minute, and I deserve to be happy. Amen? And sadly, this is what we know. (laughs) Some things that are about true happiness and true joy are about a long-term commitment to right things. It's not about this moment. It's about life's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And we, as people of God, know that. I'm going to deny myself this instant gratification for the greater good. Not because I'm into self-denial. Because we're not. We don't just decide on self-denial because we think it's fun. We choose self-denial because we think it's true. Because we believe that the long-term health of life and relationship and the kingdom of God and the culture and the world are rooted in God's word. And that's hard. Sometimes we have to choose better. Sometimes we have to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. Because our human instinct is not always on point for what's best for us. Amen? Otherwise, we'd like broccoli as much as we like chocolate cake. (laughs) And that's just not how it works. So we don't live for instant gratification. We live for eternal values. We hold steady. And when we go through difficult times, we don't give up on our faith because we know that over time, God proves himself faithful and loving and kind and good and sustains us and goes with us because here's the truth. We are going to go through hard times in our lives. Either we're going to go through them with a deeper purpose and a deeper meaning and with the power and grace of God, or we're going to go through them by ourselves. And Sometimes our culture blames, if God were true, I wouldn't suffer. Listen, in this world, I don't know how you read the book. I know there are prosperity preachers that preach it. Love God and he'll make you rich. I wish he would. Amen? But the truth is, life's hard. And in this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. There's more going on than meets the eye. Hold steady. I'm going to see you through it. Even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil because I'll be with you. That's my promise to you. I won't tell you that if you love me, you won't have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will tell you that I'll go in there with you. And I want to sustain you. And it's a marathon. Run steady. Run faithful. Don't give up. Don't quit. It's going to be okay. He's going to take care of you. We just sang it. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And if you die, it's still going to be all right. Yeah, but what if it's still going to be all right? It's still going to be all right. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not life, not death, not things present, not things to come, not powers, not principalities, and all of these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Amen? Amen? All right. Cultural goals versus countercultural goals. We want fun. We want connection. We want meaning. We want our immediate needs met. But we don't necessarily agree with the culture on how that happens. Amen? Amen? And we're not contrarian for the sake of being contrarian even though sometimes the church has been that. Amen? 
I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes when I talk up here, I say things that are inappropriate. I mean, they're not exactly inappropriate, but I've had people approach me over the years and say, you know, do you think about what you're going to say before you say it? (laughs) And my mouth does work faster than my brain. I am willing to confess to that. But when I question them, I think what they want is they really go, well, you know, it seems sometimes it's just frivolous, like we just laugh in church a lot. Oh, heaven forbid. (laughs) Because church would be serious business, shouldn't it? I mean, we should come in here and we should just, like, get our serious Jesus face on. Because sometimes we think about the church as being, you know, is anybody having fun? Well, stop it. (laughs) You know, we were having... Candy Palooza today, you know, is that what we should be doing with our children? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they should think that church is the most loving place on earth and that sometimes it's fun. I mean, you know, it shouldn't be all fun necessarily, but, you know, my grandson, you know, is up this weekend and he came to vacation Bible school and he comes and visits and when he comes, he's like, how come we're not having vacation Bible school? I want, the, I want the crafts, I want the I want bounce houses, I want the whole nine yards here, you know. Isn't that, isn't that what we want our kids to think? I, I want this. And sometimes, Christian folks, we, we're not fun. We're not sweet, we're not pleasant, we're not kind. Even though Jesus seemed to represent all of those things. Funny. You think Jesus wasn't funny? Just because we don't get his jokes doesn't mean he's not funny. Just because you don't get my jokes doesn't mean I'm not funny. <laughs> See how that happened? <laughs> it's called exegetical teaching right there. We're countercultural when it's true and when it's right and when it matters, not to just be contrarian. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number five, we have chosen to be interdependent instead of independent. So he wraps up what he's saying with this. Listen, just like your body has many parts and they don't all have the same function, that's how people are in the kingdom of God and in the church of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at each other and want to go, I need you and I'm glad you're here. I need you and I'm glad you're here. And I don't know if you know this, but in the church, we're not very good at that. And do you remember who he's writing to? A church that's in crisis because they are divided. And what are they divided over? Doctrinal issues. The Jews are too Jewish and the Gentiles are too Gentilish. And he says, I want you to get together and I want you to look at each other with these eyes. I need you. I'm not okay without you. I know you're weird and I know you're odd and I know you believe and think things that I don't believe or think, but I need you. I know you're old. but we need you. I know you're young, but we need you. You're not an appendage on the church. I mentor young pastors, and one of the things I have to say to them all the time is I have to say, slow down. Those old people are not ruining your church. (laughs) They are your church. You just don't know it. (laughs) Offend them and see what happens. (laughs) Don't care about them and see what happens. Don't value them and see what happens. They're not an appendage on the church. They're not an obstacle to growth. They are the church. 
just like these folks down front are the church, just like the junior high kids down there, just like the children who are candying up right now are a part of the church. Amen? Just like Democrats are and Republicans are. Mouths were moving, but no sounds were coming out. <laughs> Why? I value you. I value your perspective. I value your experience because we have chosen to be inter- interdependent. We're not independent of each other. We're not okay by ourselves. We can't go it alone. We can't make it alone. We can't be one generation of a church. We've got to be intergenerational. We've got to be multicultural. We've got to be multiracial. We, we've got to consider all of people because we need everyone in here all the time, every day, to be a healthy, whole representation of the kingdom of God on earth. Amen? Amen. And we're going to be that. We're just going to go be that because that's the truth. And this is a messy calling. And my prayer for you as we kind of wrap up this series on the book of Romans is that you, you'll pray about this. God, I'm however many years old, and I want to know what you have for me to be doing. What is my calling? How am I serving? How am I getting connected and involved? What am I doing in the kingdom of God that matters, that is significant, that is the good works you've prepared for me to do? Right now, at this stage of my life, and whatever it is, I want to do it with all of my heart. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks that you have the patience with us, and you have the providence with us to continue to lead us and speak into our journeys and into our lives. And it doesn't matter if we're just starting out or if we're in the middle of our journey or if we're making our way towards the end, you continue to equip us with very special gifts. And you intend for us from the cradle to the grave to surrender them and to be used by you to accomplish the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. Would you remind us this morning that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which you have prepared in advance for each one of us to do. May we be committed to that cause. May we be committed to seeing the kingdom of God alive on earth as we get ready to open up this facility and new building. May we be the church that you dreamed of, thought of, prayed for, asked for. May we be those people that are so in touch with who you are that we're not going along with the crowd. We're, we're not on the bandwagon, but we're also not an obstinate bunch of hard-headed, joyless people. Instead, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we are working every day to fulfill your will on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.